Welcome back to another episode of Full Metal RPG, episode number 44. I am your host, Adam Sink. With me, as always, is my partner in crime, Brendan Carrion. What's up, Brendan? What up? Not a whole lot. How you been? Yeah, you know, not too bad, man. Not too bad. Getting by. You been know. staying busy? Oh, dude, always busy. Never enough hours in the day, dude. Never enough hours in the day. You? Uh, same. It's uh, between role-playing and... Warhammer, Necromunda, it's just been consuming my life like a ravenous tyrannid swarm. You know what I played this last weekend, What dude? did you play like, this li- Literally yesterday. Like Rogue not Trader, even- right? Rogue Trader, Rogue son! Trader. I played a game of Rogue Trader. How was it? It was amazing! It was amazing! I you loved it! You got that it. book at Gen Con, right? Well, uh, the homie um, Alex, Alexander, yeah. he knew that we were at Gen Con, and then word got back to him via the mysterious Jeff. That there was Rogue Trader books available, and uh, he uh, he asked the mysterious Jeff to buy like a whole pile of them. Yeah, like five of them, right? <laughs> five of them. <laughs> they're like, a stack. They're like fifty bucks each, and he yeah. had he had the mysterious Jeff bring back five of them, and he just just and he just gave them away. He just distributed them into this group of people who he wanted to play Rogue Trader with, and so I got mine as a gift. And nice. uh, what can I say, dude? That game's that game's fucking rad. I'm sorry, it's not. I thought it was going to be terrible in a certain way. I thought it was going to be like really tedious. It's but... still really popular after all these years. It's got a <laughs> cult following. It has to be doing something right. Dude, um, without getting too much into the whole like culture of Warhammer, uh, you know how people are always quibbling about like what is Warhammer? And you've got these guys who are like, oh, it's this tournament game and it's about like optimizing lists right. and stuff like and that. I've and heard got... people say that Warhammer died in second after second edition. They're like, second edition was the last real edition of Warhammer. And you're I... like, really? I got in at third. It's... Exactly, exactly. Because I've always lived in this world where it's this very mechanical game that's, that's, that's kind of edging closer and closer to being just a very, very com- competitive scene. Uh, like magic kind of only with a much shoddier rule set. But when you go back to Rogue Trader, you can see where the GW guys get this idea that it's just a bonkers gonzo game and you can't really take it too seriously and why would you even try? Right. Because like like everything that's happening on the board, it just feels completely arbitrary. Like you're just at the at the in the hands of some kind of dark god and things are just happening. It's 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 kind of it's kind of amazing. That sounds fun. Because 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 you have so little control in a certain way of what's happening, you can't play with any ego, which means you just sit there and enjoy the company of your friends and have a good time with your right. spacemen. Which, which is the opposite of how it's being played today, where it's played with a lot of ego, as we've seen at like LVO and all of the drama and everything that surrounds it. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And they want to take it big. They want to stream it on Twitch, and they want to do it. We'll see how it goes. We'll see, man. But let me tell you, uh, I got that Road Trader book. If you ever want to come out and play with Alex, because I know you got fully painted orcs, mm-hmm. you should bring out your orcs, man. Or if you just want me and you to play a game, I'll play a game with you anytime because it's really fun. I can it's really buy fun. some orcs. I love orcs. So, well, other than Rogue Trader, I guess we should get into what have you been up to lately? What have we been up to lately? So we've had the Friday night role-playing club for Full Metal RPG. We've been doing a lot of that, having a really good time playing that and getting to know people in the community and kind of getting I our- missed the last one. Yeah, you did miss the last one. Uh, ben was there. I was there. Um, yeah, it went pretty well. We had a good time. We had a we had a decent turnout. So good, good. 
I was talking to the homie Chris over at uh, Twin Cities by Night, and he was like, man, it seems like you guys are doing so great with your uh, role-playing night. And I'm like, ah, I mean, we got like three tables that we run consistently, right. but it ain't like we're forming waiting lists or yeah, nothing. Yeah, we don't have a full roster at any of the tables as far as I know. It's- Yours does. No, I've got four players. It's it's not it a four roster. It seems like you always have like six No, that was there. 13th Age. 13th Age had a lot more players. Now that I'm doing Mutant Year Zero, I've got a lot fewer. It's kind of strange. So um, what what is the deal with your Mutant Year Zero game? Like, what is that game like about? Like, what kind of characters and shit do you have in that? So Mutant Year Zero is this post-apocalyptic role-playing game where you're playing these these mutants. That's why it's called Mutant Year Zero. Um you have been thrust out into this wasteland uh, and you live in a thing called an ark. Um, and on your ark, you have other mutants living there. And we started out with 200 mutants in this ark. And wait, so, wait a second. Is this like part of your game or is it the or all all games begin with this premise? All games begin with this premise. There's like, 200 there's, mutants on the ark. There's, there's a variable number, but they recommend it should be around 200. So we just decided on 200. And so you've got these mutants, and then there's different types of mutants. There's dog handlers, there's bosses, there's um, stalkers, there's chroniclers, there's thugs, there's um, gearheads, and then there's slaves. Are these uh, like the classes? Yeah, they're the classes in the game. And so you play those, and there's this. There's the the leader of the arc is called the eldest, and he's a human being. He's a normal human uh, who has come in from out in the wastes uh and he's kind of your your leader the leader of this arc but he's starting to decay from what they call rot which from what i understand is essentially just kind of like radiation or contamination and and inherent to the setting and so he's his faculties are going um and there's a whole backstory into what happened it doesn't really get into how the apocalypse happened but it gets into where the mutants come from, where you originally came from, why you're there, and then, uh, you know, an end game. There's a whole end game scenario in that book that at a certain point you find this thing called Eden. It's this this uh, mythical place that you've been told about that you need to go find Eden. And it's like, what happens when you find Eden and where you go from there? It's kind of like the end of Waterworld. Kind they of. Find dry um, land, kind of. But it's not like Eden isn't actually Eden. It's not. It's not this this place that you've been told about. Um, it's it's a facility. Oh, interesting. And it's the and you know to get into spoilers, it's the facility where the mutants come from. You, you're oh. you're a scientific creation that was essentially built to try to repopulate the wasteland. Um, except you, as a mutant, you can't reproduce with other mutants. So. The goal is that you were supposed to go find the last human enclaves or, or any remnants of humanity that are out there so that you could um, reproduce with them and essentially save the species. Interesting. Now, can you play this game out over like a long-term campaign? Could you do like a year yeah, so and years campaign? Yeah, so what you get is you get a zone map. Um, and your zone map is just, it's, it's different sections. And each section is a one mile by one mile square. And then the characters go out and they explore these zone maps. And you can randomly generate sections or you can fill them in with whatever you want. I have learned that in role-playing parlance, this is called a hex crawl. Yeah. So it, it it's basically that. It's basically a, a little grid crawl. And, you know, Eden is in one of them. Uh, and then there's just a bunch of stuff. And, and as you go through, you can randomly generate them. But what I found was when I was randomly generating them, I was creating these environs that the characters could not possibly do anything in 
because you'd roll for it and they'd get an enemy that they had no way of fighting. And so your only option was to flee. Now, the Mutant Year Zero game has these like little source books that are like kind of like themed little maps. Are they are they are they additional hex maps or are they themed hex maps that They're are to themed replace maps the original? that you can use if you want to use them as your zone and your arc where your mutants are from. Quality-wise, I can't really recommend them. They're not that do you, good. Do, do you have them? Mm-hmm. I've yeah. got three of them, and they're they're okay. There's this one that has these like lizard dudes on the front. Yeah, layer of the Saurins or Saurians yeah. or whatever. It kind yeah. of is peaking me a little bit. It's not worth it. I can bring it if you want to check it out. It's to me, it's a, it's too heavily themed, and so mm. it's it's there's not enough variation in the wasteland that's there. Like one of them is the the an ocean themed one, and so it's all ocean themed, and it's just kind of like, well, what happens if I don't want to be a part of like what if happens if I don't want to be on the ocean anymore? <laughs> so. Now that you so so you the the game is just as a premise it's this hex crawl right is there room in it to put to put your own story in yeah you can put whatever you want into it so like I said you can either randomly generate these tiles or you can put your own in so like for example I put one in last time that was this hospital and inside of this hospital uh, one of the threat cards they had drawn was someone went missing from the ark and they determined it was this chronicle or Washington he went missing from their ark their ark is this old museum. Um, and so they went out searching for him. And well, what happened was he got captured by zone ghouls. Um, and the zone ghouls, essentially, they, they can't be out in the sun. Uh, they start burning if they're out in the sun. So they took this guy into the basement and they uh, strapped him to a, to a gurney in this old hospital. And they were flaying, like they b- ate all of his fingers and toes off. And they were flaying his arm and eating the skin and the, the flesh of it. And so they, they went into this hospital and they were kind of searching around and finding supplies. And then they heard cries for help. And then they went to investigate and they found this basement full of these ghouls and this member of their arc who was being flayed alive so they shot him with an arrow and then ran away they like mercy killed him yeah and they ran mercy away. killed him and then ran away and it was like oh you didn't even get to like the monstrous flesh golem that i had <laughs> inside of this thing that was supposed to kind of come at you like this horrid zumiche thing or, or uh, oh that sounds awesome yeah and they didn't even get to it they were just like nope they noped out of that before they even got to that point but so is there going to be like a story arc in your game or are you just going to like just draw these cards and randomly just kind of there's almost like a adventure of the week kind of feel to it i'm just kind of letting them play around until we establish a story arc. most of this most of the story happens in the arc um and so what i want to do there is one of the players seeded a thing where he was like oh there's this boss can't remember the boss's name um but there's this boss and he feels that he's a threat to the elder and so one of the other things was they they undertook a, a project so you undertake these projects at the beginning of each session and it's to improve the arc it gets you things like food or culture or technology things like that um and so one of their one of their projects was they established a religion, and their religion was they worshipped this dinosaur skeleton, this T Rex skeleton that was in the museum. Um, and so what I'm going to have eventually do is have that boss get to the point where he says, you know, we've got a god, we don't need the elder anymore, um, and he's going to essentially throw the elder off of the top of <laughs> the museum and sacrifice him to the dinosaur god. But and so there'll be the drama from that, and then there's some other stuff going on where the bosses are feuding with each other. But they haven't really gotten into that too much. They've kind of they haven't spent a lot of time in the arc. Sounds good. That yeah. sounds good. So it's been fun, and that we have really a fun. we have a stalker and stalkers. Uh, Michael Collette's playing a stalker. Um, there are these guys who go out into the wastes and find the pathways through it, and and allow people to kind of navigate. Uh, we have a, a gearhead, um, and she's a. Uh, she's been going out and just trying to, to 
you know, make technology and figure things out and understand. She's been really instrumental to the group understanding the artifacts that they're finding. We have a chronicler. He's he's the one of the guys who established this dinosaur religion, and he's going out and keeping the chronicle of the people and trying to steer them towards his own end. Uh, and then we've got another chronicler. Um, it was uh, Michael's son. It's been played by two of his sons. They've been kind of alternating. Um, and he's actually just been kind of a support class for everybody else. He's just been kind of going around and helping out where he can. But but because it's been two different people, they haven't really established a firm firm take on, on what he's doing. Do, do these characters, they have like, I mean... I understand it's like a it's like a club game and like you know you only meet like every other week. But I mean, do these do the players have like a sense of their characters' backstories and like? Yeah. So what you do when you first set up is you create your relationship. So you have a relationship with another player where they're your buddy. You're supposed to have an adversarial relationship. You're supposed to define your relationships to the other players first thing, um, and then you define a relationship to an NPC. And so you have an option of, do I have an adversarial relationship? Do I have a positive relationship? Do I have a neutral relationship? And so one of them's like, I don't trust, um, you know, I don't trust the other chronicler. This is like powered by the apocalypse, like one of the ones type uh-huh. stuff. Yeah it's, yeah, it's just basic stuff to set up relationships between them. And so then you've also yeah, got your, your big goal, which is the thing that you want to do. Like, oh, I want to find Eden or I want to take over the Ark or... You know, I want to find the Twinkie factory, whatever it is that your character wants to do out in the wastelands or, or inside of the Ark. That's your that's your big dro- your big goal, your dream that you have to follow. So, how do you think it's going, man? Because I knew you were pretty jazzed when you got Mutant Year Zero, mm-hmm. and you're kind of like a um, like a connoisseur of these kind of post-apocalypse games. Uh, how you how you liking it as compared to the other post-apocalypse games that you have? It's going pretty well. Um, the framework for it has been interesting to work within because it's got this idea of you're exploring zones and each zone's supposed to have a thing in it like a shtick um and so i've been kind of grappling with that when i was playing fallout i got i, I felt like i had a lot more control and it was a lot more fallout? narrative or not fallout <sighs> gamma world gamma world okay yeah sorry it's when right. i was playing fallout's a post-apocalyptic video game that's very much like these. But uh, yeah, when I was playing Gamma World, I felt like I had so much more narrative control and I could just do whatever I wanted to with it. And I was doing weird stuff in that game, just really bizarre kind of set pieces and everything. And they don't seem like they fit into Mutant Year Zero. Mutant Year Zero doesn't seem like it really works with just bonkers stuff. Um, And so I haven't really done anything like that. I'm sure at some point I'll probably introduce something that's just really crazy and weird, but I haven't gotten to that point yet. Uh, I, you know, I'm afraid of Walking Dead syndrome, where yeah. I'm gonna have like, oh, here's all these settings with all these, and then all of a sudden it's just gonna be like, here it comes Nagin with the bat beating people, and you're just like, why is this guy doing this? This makes no sense. <laughs> and so that's that's kind of what I want to avoid. I, 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 you know, I I feel like the game world in Mutant Year Zero is supposed to have some kind of logic behind it. It's not just supposed to be really weird and off the wall. Yeah, yeah. Some of those other uh, uh, post-apocalypse games that you have are like really gonzo. They're just like really bizarre. Where they're like just sort of the point of anything them. Anything goes. Way. Yeah. Hey, there's yeah. rabbit people. You know, and you're all right, like, rabbit right. people. Yeah, and th- and there's a certain like je ne sais quoi to all of that. But like the mutant year zero thing definitely does seem to be a bit more like darker, a bit more grounded. Yeah, it's it's a lot more grounded, and so it's been interesting running it. Just because it's a different take on the apocalypse. It's one I haven't many, really dealt with before. How many sessions do you think you're going to do that for? I don't know. No, However just, long yeah. until they get bored. I, right. I, I don't really have a plan. I don't really. I had a plan with 13th Age. 
and I ran it the number of sessions I was supposed to run it. And then I was like, okay, we're done. And with this one, it's just kind of like, well, I don't really have a plan. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and try and constrain it to a set number of sessions just because I don't really know what I'll get out of that. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not clear on where it ends. We may just play it till we get bored and want to do something else. Why not? Yeah, for sure. You can always put it on hold, right? You can right. always, you can always it put later. it on hold. I can always go to 13th Age. I can always try Shadow of the Demon. Like, there's a ton of different games that I have that I can run. We so. got we got more time, more game than we got time. That's for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, so I missed Role Playing Club last time. Um, I, I went. Oh my god! I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna bore you guys telling you what I what I did with that that those hours rather than going to Game Club. But let me tell you. Wish I had gone to Game Club. Oh, if if only I had it to do over again. Anyway, um, so I run Lamentations of the Flame Princess, and I'm using this Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, uh, module, and I just kind of thought that maybe the listeners would want to hear sort of about what that game is kind of like. Right, so, and so, the players. And, cause, yeah. Because you were, you were kind of burning out on the whole Toad theme last well, time we talked. Yeah, and I still am not jazzed about it. Um. I am going to be trying to draw that to a swift re- resolution. Uh, the thing that's different about my game than yours is that I only have two consistent players. I have two guys that show up like fucking rain or shine for this thing, and then the rest of the table kind of rotates. It's like it's right. like drop ins, and um, they never come back. <laughs> you know, so I'll it get can be like, hard to get a steady game going that way. Yeah, I was actually surprised the Thirteenth Age guy didn't come back after we finished Thirteenth Age. He just bounced and didn't that's, come back. <laughs> Wow, he, like, um, he seemed to really enjoy Thirteenth Age, and then we're going, oh, we're going to play Mutineer Zero, and I, I, I felt like uh, Michael was on board, yeah, and everybody else at the table was just. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> well, your game sounds really good, so it's been fun. It sounds like it sounds like a good time. Um, so you know, the game kind of like centers around these two characters, and because it's uh, Lamentations. On some level, they're nearly indistinguishable from one another in 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 terms of their equipment and in terms of like um, their skills. You know, there's a mage. There's a guy who's playing a, a mage, and he's got one spell, or at least he started out with one spell. He's he's, he's leveled up a little bit. Oh, but because the the, the collecting spells uh, system in Lamentations is so punishing, he still only has one spell. He can only cast it once a day. And so the rest this of the, is a summon, right? Everybody's got summon. No, I didn't give him summon. Oh, you didn't give I him actually, summon. I okay. actually had him roll for it, and he didn't roll because that's how you do it in Lamentations. You right. got to roll for the fucking spells. And while summon is by far the most interesting and like weird spell in that in that book, I, he 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 got something else, and so he gets uh, it's one spell a day. Then there's a um, a guy he's playing a a, a fighter, and um, like. All the kind of nuance between the two characters, because they both play characters who are kind of like down on their luck guys from agrarian communities, which is sort of like I, I imagine it, with, with, with limitations, you got to really kind of put some work into it in order to have it be what it is you kind of want it to be. You know, like if you wanted to say like, oh, um. I'm a scallywag who's escaping the city because my father's a cobbler and I have to be, become a, a cobbler's apprentice and I don't want to do that, so I'm going to run away and become an adventurer. You can do that, but you've got to have the kind of like, you got to say, oh, I'm, that's what I want to do. Right, because Lamentations like, is one of those games where it's, you know, if you you determine what your character's intelligence is, you determine his level of wits, right, you determine right. 
you know, yeah. what knowledge he has. It's and all up to you. All we don't really sh- care. All the other shit is basically just for saves. And um, so these guys kind of, because because of the way that we had started writing the game where everybody thought they were going to be playing DCC and then it turned out, hey, you're actually playing Lamentations. Right. They both kind of just took this kind of like Luke Skywalker-y kind of like backstories of, oh, I'm, you know, a young guy from an agrarian community and I'm off seeking adventure. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Um, but one guy, his name is Chris, he plays a character, and they both kind of gave their characters a little bit like wacky names. The guy's playing the mage named his character McSquishy, because I don't think he thought he was going to be around very long. Right. And, <laughs> and at that point, he certainly wasn't invested in the game, and I don't think he was taking it too seriously. But since since um the game has kind of become a campaign, he started calling his character Morty. Which is he's like he's like this is my this is my undercover name. I don't want anybody to know my real name, McSquishy. It's now I'm Morty, and it's like okay, fine, that's cool. Then uh, the fighter, the the guy who plays that Chris, he named his character uh, Rando, but he spelled it really like 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 French. It's right. pretty funny, and um, so D E U X exactly, and uh, and. Uh, then he didn't want to tell the NPCs his character's name because he's like on the run, and so this uh, this NPC, the main NPC, started calling him Mister Moon because of something that was going on in a conversation. So like that, that character gets called Rando Moon a lot, which I kind of like. I think it works. Right. And um, they started out in this kind of town that was like a like a kind of like I was basing it kind of heavily on like New Orleans. You know, it had this kind of like colonial but sort of sinking into a swamp kind of feel. And that's where they met the cult. And then they did um, a couple of, like, well, I think it was just one session, but it was like a couple of days worth of like traveling through this swamp. And we had a good time with that. I really, at that point, I was like really high on Michael Moorcock. I don't know why. And I was just made everything like. Because his work's really good. Well, there's always that. <laughs> I mean, but I was that's just, the obvious solution. <laughs> I was just. It was good enough for Warhammer to just bite <laughs> off of it entirely. <laughs> just rip it off. Um, so I really, it, the, the, the travel through the swamp had this very kind of like vignette kind of like dreamy narrative feel where the reality was shifting around them constantly. Um, then they got to a village that I used the module Scenic Dunsmith for. And Scenic Dunsmith is great because it gives you this list of NPCs and then it tells you like kind of their little backstories and how they're all divided in terms of these little factions and stuff. But then it does one of these dice drop things where it's like you drop a bunch of dice on a piece of paper and then you like outline where certain numbers come up and those correlate to certain types of houses. Then you draw cards that are correlated with particular NPCs to populate all the houses. That's right? been a very popular type of game mechanic because it's, you know, Mutineer Zero is all randomly generated. And even in yeah. Curse of Strahd, you have that Taroka deck where you draw the Taroka cards yeah. and you randomly populate where the stuff is yeah, based you know, off the Taroka stuff. On some level, I think that that's the first, because that's that goes all the way back to the AD&D module. Right. The randomly populating where the shit is in Strahd's castle. So, and that's like from the 80s. So, mm-hmm. definitely, like... It's that, really that's, made a resurgence, though, That's Margaret like. Weiss and Tracy Hickman, right? I think so. I think so. And, uh, I mean, that's just so so far ahead of its time. Because now that's just basically how, like, a certain type of role-playing game runs. Is yeah. everything just randomized? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway... Like Mutineer Zero, the mutant powers are randomized. You draw from a deck. Your threats are randomized. You draw from a deck. Yeah. Artifacts, too. You draw from a deck. It's oh, just like, oh, and, what artifact do you get? And I have something I want to bring up later in the what have you bought recently phase but we'll get to that um 
But seeing Dunsmith is just so great because uh, it's just got you. You can just run the shit out of it. You can run it over and over and over again. Like you could, you could conceivably based on like like if you wanted to do an adventure that took place in like multiple towns in kind of a remote rural area, you could use the same book to generate the town multiple times and just use the same last names and say, oh, they're all related, you know, because they all like live in the same kind of zone, you know. Anyway, so they were there for a minute and then they took off for the for the temple. And I have to say the temple has been a disappointment to me because I feel like since they've been there and they've been doing an actual dungeon crawl, they haven't just been like wandering around in the woods encountering like I had them encounter some gods in this kind of like forgotten realmsy kind of style where there were these like these two weird dudes like just hanging out and having a conversation and they, the characters ran into them and then had a perplexing conversation with these guys and then later on they were like I wonder what that was about you know and it was like it was like ooh kind of thing you know and when when and when the game had that very kind of free form kind of foggy feel to it I was really feeling it a lot more than now that they're in the dungeon and there's like a fucking grid and they're like oh well I'm going to walk 50 feet forward and exp- I'm going to check the door for traps and all this shit. It's kind of how I feel about the grid in my game too. It's like, I feel like the grid is constraining that kind of yeah. activity where it's like, Oh, you go to this grid and you go to this and you go to the, and it's, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't really know how to fix it. I like just that, that I like the openness better. You know, I like the kind of, I don't know. There's something about it that, that, that once you start like, it's kind of like when you're playing with like minis on a board and you start really focusing on the minis and then the theater of the mind goes away. It's like kind of the same once you introduce the grid map and like you're like, oh, well, that's uh, how how deep is this hallway and how high is the ceiling and all this kind of stuff. Right. And, or you get that idea you know? in your head when you're doing a Warhammer game where you're like, oh, this it's this tank and it's coming out and it's going to just like start laying this fire down. It's going to tear <laughs> apart all the infantry and then you roll and you're like, like oh, oh, it just... Completely ineffective. Ones. It, doesn't, it doesn't do anything. Ones again. Yep. Um, yeah, so I kind of want to wrap up this uh, phase of um, the uh, dungeon so that Rando and McSquishy can get back out into that weird world again. Because exploring the weird world was like the fun part. That was really fun. This fucking like dungeon delve is bumming me the fuck out. So I kind of need to get them out of there. Yeah. So well, you're the, in control, right? Yeah. The last time that we were playing, they like went into this room that was just like teeming with these giant dog-sized toads, and they were like, I think they were like, "Fuck this, we got to get out of here. We got to go heal up." And and even then, that kind of thinking of like, "Oh, let's go rest before we go fight this thing," it's just it's like way too like standard D and D for mm-hmm. me. Like Elric would never say that. You can just have never... it sink into the swamp, man. Just have the temple like sink well, into when they come back to it. You're like, interesting. it sank back into the swamp. I kind of like that. Like maybe they could go in there to fight those things, and then uh-huh. things are starting to sink. Yeah, that'd be kind of interesting. That'd be way more fun than just fighting a bunch of fucking toads. And then they've got a reason to get out, and you can say, "Well, that's done," and yeah. we can move on. Forget about it. We're done with that shit. Yep. Anyway, well, you know what? We're playing Friday, so uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully Chris and Noble won't listen to this before. Play <laughs> before you play. Yeah, there you <laughs> They'll go. Find out all my best ideas come from Adam. There you go. So that's up to at that game. I, you know, I think we should check in and like kind of just let the listeners know what we're what's going on in our games because I find whenever I hear the people talking about what's going on in their games, I find it exp- inspiring. You know, so yeah, it's fun. It's it's always kind of cool to see what people that you like to listen to are up to and what they're doing. You're see fucking, if they can walk the talk or not. 
Your 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 ghoul your ghoul story has inspired me already. So my ghoul story, <laughs> your your flesh eating ghoul. Oh, that Love thing it. that in the ba- yeah in the basement. It's just yeah, I really yeah. want to do that. Where it's just this monstrous creature down there that's kind of moving around. And I dig it. Man. I really wanted them to to fight it, but they were just like, nope, we're nope. getting out of here. <laughs> yeah, they were. It was pretty funny. One of them commented like, I thought we weren't playing a horror game this time. I was like, oh, jokes <laughs> on you. They're all horror games. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way. It's kind of what I do. Yeah. That's my wheelhouse. <laughs> cool. <laughs> cool. So that leads us into our next thing. What have you bought? What have you been buying? Oh, the crass consumerism. It never ends. Um, This is what I was angling at earlier, which is I bought Shadows of the Demon Lord. Yeah. Um, I, was, I have that as well. I, I know, right? You told me about it. and, and I've had and, it for a long time. I was... <laughs> I just never really... Like, I started reading it, and then I got more into 13th Age, and I put it down and didn't come back to it. How are you finding it? Like, I was kind of shitting on it when it was... Okay, I shouldn't say that. It's not, it's not really how I feel. I was discouraged from getting on it, getting it when it was in Kickstarter, because I was like, oh, it's this idea. It, it struck me as super heroic role-playing where it's like oh you live in this world that's been like smothered in evil and only heroes can rise yeah, to it's really the not Lord. it's bleak and dark it's it's, it's it's not like it's not like that at all it's like it's it's, it's a really cool game and, w- and if you when you crack open the front cover uh the writer robert schwab he writes about his inspiration for the game which is warhammer fantasy roleplay and i fucking love warhammer fantasy roleplay that's like one of my favorite fucking games and um so so what if if you if you distill down what Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is about, what the premise of it is, right? I think he's brilliantly put his finger on this. It's about this kind of medieval fantasy world that's on the brink of an apocalypse, right? And all around you, societal structures are starting to be corroded away from within. Right, while, chaos and the vermintide and the undead. And- exactly, and then outside of that are the the hordes, and the hordes are coming, right? And they and they have these allies, these impossible allies, and so it's his attempt to recreate that idea with the more modern rules set. And, and while the modern rules set part is the part that I'm probably kind of like a little bit more like a little like uh, like I enjoy I enjoy the book until I look at all the fucking rules I got to read. And I'm yeah, like, oh, my God, you seriously get to a point in there where you are like you get class fatigue cool. where you're just class after class after class. There's after a lot class. of classes. Just like, Holy cow. Uh, I will say um, the art in it is gorgeous. Oh, like if I could have taken yeah. the art out of Shadows of the Demon Lord and put it into 13th Age. I think that book would have done much better than it did. Um, it's just, it I mean, fits the setting and it's gorgeous and it's yeah. a lot of fun to look at. I still yeah. just pick the book up and leaf through it just because it's fun to look at. And what's kind of cool is if you're a Warhammer knob is that Schwab has kind of quite skillfully gone through there and kind of filed the serial numbers off on a bunch of like Warhammer shit. Yeah, the Inquisitor and like, stuff and, like and a couple of the other ones. Reinserted it into his game. Like, I'm listening to this podcast, right? It's called uh, Tales of Blood and Stone, and that's kind of how why even I picked up the Demon Lord book, is this 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 uh, actual play. And um, the characters are out in a field and they get assaulted by these little tiny demons and the and the GM is describing the demons. I'm like, these are fucking nerglings. Yeah. I'm like, it's little fucking nerglings they're attacking them. And cavorting and yeah, and they're all like, like yeah. and they're like tearing people apart and I'm like, little oh, son of a bitch, this is so fucking cool. It's like it's like Warhammer, but without the kind of 
burdens of that story and those constraints mm-hmm. end without that not great system. Well, I mean, okay, look, it has its charms. That system has its charms. But you gotta you gotta be in a certain mood to want to play that game. I'll leave it that way. You I can hear that. I can hear that. What have you gotten? What have I gotten book wise? Uh, I haven't really bought anything book wise. I've been trying to focus on getting through my back catalog of stuff. I feel like I went a little crazy late last year where I just got a bunch of Kickstarter stuff where it was like, I am zombie. And and then we went to Gen Con. I picked up a bunch of stuff there and I had the Shadows of Esterin stuff. I bought all those and I oh, just, yeah. and all of this Lamentation stuff. And I just have this pile of books that I've been slowly working my way through. Shame but, on you, Adam. Yeah. I would never do such a thing. You would never do that. I have read every single one of these books of cover to cover. pile over here. Cover to cover. Yeah. So I, I just, you know, and I still have Unknown Armies, like those three books, like sitting there oh that I haven't God. even cracked the cover on. I always feel so guilty every time I look at those books. Yeah. I was like, like, I spent oh, so much money on these I and I had all these grand ambitions and they just, they I sit know, there and they, they are collecting dust. Like there's literally a thick layer of dust on them. Dude. And you know what else is that like, I have a t- fucking butt ton of Kickstarters that are like, they're Waiting actually. Waiting to go off. No, no. They're like coming. They're kind of coming in on time. Like I got a bunch oh, of. Oh, like, really? Yeah. Cause like, it seems like the P- on Kickstarter, people have kind of learned what the pitfalls are, and now the the last batch of Kickstarters that I did are all coming in on time. I've I just, just got a bunch of stuff that's late. I just have oh a ton God. of stuff that's all late. It's like, all right, whatever. It's like, I, I seriously have something like six books coming in the pipeline towards me, and then, because I went all fucking hog wild on goddamn Kickstarter again, and then I fucking pledged like six things. I got six things outstanding. It's like crazy. Yeah, see, I still have that signs and sigils or that that cthulhu cultist game oh yeah that's still not done that's still waiting i've got uh cult that's still waiting yeah um (laughs) cult i got i got one other one i've still got zazarkala in the pipeline i've still got the new uh beneath in the pipeline so bunch of stuff (laughs) right um but what you gotta do is you gotta go on and you gotta look at uh alan barr's uh tiny wastelands Okay. Because that's getting ready to fund, and that's another post-apocalypse game. And oh boy, it, just think, what I need! I know more but, post-apocalyptic role-playing. Read the rule on it. Read the the write-up on it. It yeah, sounds really it good. Like it's, it's supposed to be system light, and then the little conceit of it is that it comes with a, a, a minimalist system, and then a bunch of pre-packaged adventure settings. I think I saw Jim Miller back that, yeah. and, and I looked at it, and I was like, Oh, I can't look <laughs> yeah. at this right now. <laughs> I got it. I yeah, got okay. it. I got it. I, I haven't mean, looked at it yet. I'll get uh, to it. And I, so, yeah, it's. I've been just riding that Warhammer horse like like, <sighs> like crazy. I got those versus Praetors, and I got some Gene Steeler cult stuff because I want to play them in Necromunda, and I got my Orlocks. And so I'm kind of just focusing on. I have my Orlocks done. They're assembled, and I have them primed. I and the primer that. is curing. So uh, they should be done today because I've let them cure for 24 hours at this point. Good on you, man. Yeah. So they should be ready to start getting paint on them. Whether or not I actually start getting paint on them, we'll see. But I had the little how to paint your Orlocks going in a side window at work today while I was doing some other stuff. So <laughs> Nice. Had Duncan sitting there telling me about two thin coats, you know, <laughs> all that good stuff. So hopefully I'll get those guys going here soon. Um, yeah. And just been building all that stuff, working on working on hobby stuff. Trying well, to get through things. Um, I think we got a new segment, right? We do, do have, we have a, a new, new segment? segment. All right. Um, Should we take a brief intermission? Let's take a brief intermission. And we're back with a brand new segment on Full Metal RPG. We are going to be doing book reviews. 
And our first book review that we have uh, queued up here is Death Frost Doom. Um, I used this book when I was running 13th Age, and I had some thoughts on it, so I thought I would capture them and present them to you, our listeners. Um, Death Frost Doom is is a really curious book with an interesting history. It was the adventure that launched Lamentations of the Flame Princess back in 2009. It was originally written by James Edward Brage IV and subsequently revised by Zack Smith slash Zack Sabbath, Zack S. Um, it's a really clever, unique adventure, and it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's centered around a mountain from which a nefarious cult used to operate, and the adventure, Death Frost Doom, quickly ratchets up the tension, and it really just refuses to let up. From the moment your players set foot near the peak of the mountain, which is littered with gravestones and on which a petrified and frozen cabin rests, they're confronted and challenged by a relentlessly bleak dungeon. It's a harrowing adventure, and it's one from which it's difficult to emerge while still calling yourself a hero. I want to try to avoid spoilers as much as possible, but there will be some spoilers, because I, I really believe Death Frost Doom deserves to be experienced. It's a work of art, but it's not a still life of flowers or a prosaic rendition of people merrily strolling in a park. It's more akin to a Hieronymus Bosch painting. It's full of detail and color and terrible ugliness, and it's absolutely in your face. It's designed to challenge you as a player, and as a dungeon master, it's just plain fun to run. The adventure was originally designed to be system agnostic, uh, but you will need to do some lifting to port Death Frost Doom into the rule set of your choice. As I mentioned, I ran it as an adventure for 13th Age after being dissatisfied with Shadows of Eldolin, which was an adventure supplement for that game dealing with the undead. I wanted something that was rough, gritty, and confrontational, and ultimately I found that in Death Frost Doom. Going over the pros and cons, uh, starting with the pros, the setting is grim. It's dark and it's bleak. You're investigating a tomb, and it's this really terrible and somber affair. The book oozes with darkness and despair. From the moment your players hit the grave-laden landscape near the summit to their entrance into the uh, greater tombs containing the secrets of the cults at the core of the adventure, they're forced to interact with a just relentlessly vile environment and the creatures responsible for its creation. It's a beautifully written book. It's really enjoyable to read. Despite being short, it's incredibly dense. I ran it for weeks and I felt like it could have gone on longer. Ultimately, I was operating under a time constraint, but I was really satisfied with the time I spent with it. It's all the more impressive given that Death Frost Doom is digest-sized and it weighs in at a scant 64 pages. The authors waste very little of their limited resources. The art serves the book well. It's uh, been revised since the original edition. Uh, has all new art and an all new cover. The interior illustrations are great, and the cover, while it's not a masterpiece of technical showmanship, complements the interior and highlights the frozen and bleak nature of the setting. On reading the adventure, you get a real sense of appreciation for how that cover was executed. The story of Death Frost Doom rewards you for peeling back its layers. It's harsh and sorrowful and evil. It's not a Dungeons and Dragons style stomp the evil into the ground adventure. You will get dirty. You will find out things you would rather not know. Magic is bloody and terrible and awful and powerful. The cult is a real face of profane evil and not some thinly veneered bad guy you need to confront because the story tells you to. There are numerous Chekhov gun moments in the adventure where an earlier scene or item is called back to in a way that imparts a deeper meaning to the setting and the story. 
When the party meets the sacred parasite, several things they saw and interact with in the chapel earlier impart additional meaning and depth to that scene. Really, the entire chapel itself is a masterpiece in slowly building horror and ratcheting up tension. You can run entire sessions just in that one room, and I, in fact, did run multiple sessions just in the chapel. The adversaries in Death Frost Doom are grotesque and horrific in all the right ways. By the time that your party enters the tombs of greater repugnancies, they will have encountered so much of the handiwork of these foul undead creatures that seeing them in person imparts a gravitas and revulsion at witnessing their corrupted flesh. These monsters did this to themselves, and they revel in their vile debasement and value. Uh, despite how brief the book is, you can easily use it to launch an entire campaign. For under a $20 hardcover or less than $10 for a PDF, you get an adventure that's unlike any other. It's hard to understate the utility of the book. As for cons, and there are some, there are some traps in the game that are decidedly lamentations of the flame princess. They're deadly and random. At times, they seem punitive rather than encouraging careful exploration. While that's fine for a Lamentations game and, and some other game lines, uh, for different systems and groups, you may need to dial that down. From a personal standpoint, I label it as a con. Uh, other people do enjoy those meat grinder style dungeons, but it's worth calling out so you know what you're getting into. I personally don't like it when merely touching something causes a 50% chance for each member of the party to, in the room to die. It's a simple enough thing to remedy, and it's ultimately what I did for my playthrough. I dialed those back quite a bit. Another con is there's very little combat until there's all the combat. The first half of the dungeon is this tense and atmospheric exploration. Then you have one encounter and all hell breaks loose. The pandemonium is great, and I liked it, but it is a big tonal shift that can throw people off. The enemies are clearly a major challenge for Lamentations PCs, but you will need to port them to the system of your choice and potentially dial them back if you want your players to have a fighting chance against them. I was running the game for new players and people pretty familiar with heroic systems who wanted to play heroic characters, so ultimately I did weaken the enemies like I did the traps, but even in that state, I received several comments from the players about how harsh these opponents were. And then finally, what I think is the biggest con is jokes. They put some jokes in this book, and for the most part, they really fall flat for me. They undercut the horror and make a mess of an otherwise masterful tome. Uh, I recommend you ignore them when you can because they don't really bring anything to the table. The most egregious example of this centers around the organ in the chapel. There's entirely too much space spent on what happens when you play different songs on it, and they included modern music, and it really took me out of the moment while reading. You know, While Inagata DeVita by Iron Butterfly is a great classic rock song with an incredibly indulgent organ solo that seems to drag on interminably, it's also included solely so the author can make a joke about mods pouring out of the organ and attacking you. You know, from the moment someone in my group starts talking about playing hollow notes, you make my dreams like keyboard cat. That is the moment I stand up, walk into the bathroom, down two bottles of Zannies that I keep for just such an occasion and end it all. So all of that said, I want to stress that Death Frost Doom is at its core a horror adventure. It's going to confront and challenge you as a player and a GM. It's not pretty. It's not easy. But damn if it isn't fun. I give this adventure my highest possible recommendation. You should go out and buy Death Frost Doom. You will not regret it. Any thoughts, Brendan? Sounds good, man. Shit. All right. You know, I I, I have Death Frost Doom. I've uh, 
I've never run it. Well, you know what? Even that's not entirely true. Like I ran, um, I ran the first uh, few pages of it, you know, and a lot happens in those first few pages. I mean, it, it was like you said, there's, you can get some really significant use out of the book. And that's what I think is kind of the hallmark of like a lot of, um, a lot of these books. And I, I, that's something I wanted to say about, about Shadows of the Demon Lord. Like, even if you don't care about the the material inside, even if you never plan on running Death Frost Doom or Shadows of the Demon Lord, they all come with these crazy tables and they all come with these crazy set pieces and NPCs and stuff that you can just drag and drop into other things. And that you know, and they, they prove their utility, they produce they prove their value, just boom, right there. Am I right? Yeah, I feel like Lamentations in particular has uh really well done adventures. Um from like you said, scenic Stunsmith to the Cursed Chateau to Death Frost Doom to a Red and Pleasant Land, um, you can just do so much with what they present you with. And as I said, you can alter them. Don't feel constrained by what they're presenting you with because you know they are going to give you really brutal, hard adventures. And if that's not what you want to do, you can always dial it back. But I think there's there's so much that I've learned about game design and and just uh, adventure design from looking through these books. I think it comes naturally to the new generation of role players, um, people who are younger than us, and they grew up in a more kind of, uh, this might sound a little bit weird, but sort of creatively egalitarian time where the tools to create and to distribute your creations were much more readily available to them because of the internet, because of the way that digital packages of music software or, or visual arts software have been coming down for years and years yeah, and years. It's been a disruption and, akin to the Gutenberg press. It's it's yeah. really kind of leveled the playing field as far as getting your creations out there. Hugely, right? And guys like us, we used to just sit around like outside the game store waiting for TSR or White Wolf to tell us how we were allowed to play the game. And to a new generation of role players, they don't even need to be told. They just they just grab everything and they hack it. And what's so crazy is if I listen to like um, uh, what's it called uh, the Grognar Files, uh, and he'll be on there talking to um, some of the like very first game designers, guys who were designing on some of what you might call like the second generation of games that were all inspired by Dungeons and Dragons and those those very like you know uh, Empire of the Pale Throne and all this stuff the very first role-playing games and they were all just essentially like system hackers who were like oh yeah we got D&D but we didn't really understand it or we were missing some books and so we just made up our own rules and then they ponied that into becoming game designers and spending the next like 20 years like sitting like behind printing presses telling us how we were allowed to play right. you know what i'm saying and I we feel all- like that's kind of what happened with tunnels and trolls and ken san andre and all that group you know as they just were hey we can do this too right and then they went right. out and did it and they didn't feel this whole oh everything's polished and professional yeah. it was really zeny back then exactly and it's becoming zeny again now and uh, on some level we were just that little awesome gen x middle generation that missed out <laughs> on the fun yeah. on both ends you know and spent all our time like slavishly collecting like leather bound vampire books you know what i'm saying like oh what a waste that still was. have mine um <clears throat> anyway adam so i'm kind of looking at the time on our uh on our pod here and, and we do have a new thing we want to talk about well well um uh i i, I did want to, to to point out that we are that the full metal rpg is now sponsored we have a sponsor, Adam. We are. We're we're going semi pro. We're going semi pro. You see, you see, kids. I don't know if you have a podcast 
I think a fairly good number of podcasters listen to this podcast, and so you know, you, I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but there's a number of incidental expenses that go into making a podcast that you don't really think about when you very first set out to do this. And so Adam and I have discussed it, and uh, we're trying to next level the game here at Full Metal RPG. That's why you're hearing a new episode at the end of the month. We're back to two a month. That's why we're doing reviews where we're trying to actually get thoughts down ahead of time. Yep, yep. And um, we're going to be looking to get some new gear. And so part of that is that we're going to be establishing a Patreon. Oh, my God. Oh, I feel weird just saying that. We're going to have a Patreon coming up here, but um, in a little bit more of a benign way and in a way that you as the the listeners can benefit from uh, what uh, the, the, the bounty of Full Metal RPG um, is we went out and we found a sponsor, okay? And uh, it's a very, very low-key sponsor. And what our sponsor is going to help us do is get some product in the hands of you guys for listening to the show. So we want to thank Game Depot in Tempe, Arizona, our favorite place to play, the place that we've been playing since we were kids. Kids, Adam. Young men, Warhammer 3rd. Fantasy or Warhammer Fantasy Second, buying vampire books there, oh second my. edition clan books. Oh my god, we've done it all. We yep. did it all there. So, Warhammer Fantasy Battle, when that was a thing. Oh my god, so much stuff. Mm-hmm. We've uh, Dave and Patty, who are the proprietors of that establishment, have just ushered us from one phase of our gaming lives to the next. And Game Depot has always been a home for us. It's where we run our Friday Friday night role playing club. club. Uh, so it's where we can be found on alternate Fridays starting this Friday. Come join us. Um, and they were very happy to help us get some books into the hands of our listeners. Now we're not going to be doing that this one this week because we, this week we do have a giveaway, but that was donated to us by the one, the only Justin Soroyce from Severed Books. So on our podcast coming up on the 15th, we are going to have our very first book giveaway. So yep. be watching the Instagram uh, for details on what it will take to enter to win the first book. Because I, I, I talked to Patty about it, and I was like, we want legit stuff. We want like good stuff. And they are happy to provide it to the listeners of our of our podcast. So All if you're right. in the Phoenix Metro area and you don't have a place to play and you're looking for a community, come on down to Game Depot, Tempe, Arizona. Find me, find Adam, find Ben, get a game, chew our ears off about your character, regale us the stories of the weird game system that you're playing and let's all hang out and have a community because that's what game depot is all about get ready for that giveaway you're you're right now you're gonna be terrence howard and iron man you're looking at it and you're going next time next time next time right because then it turns out there was no next time for terrence howard because they're placing with Don Cheadle. <laughs> there was no next time Terrence Howard. Joke's on you, buddy. And uh, War Machine was kind of a lame character anyway. But yeah. you know. Well, he's always like, kind of, yeah. he's like Iron Man oh. with guns. I know, right? What does Iron um, Man need? Guns. Oh, yeah. Let's, uh, the 90s kids, everybody had to be postmodern with guns. Anyway, so uh, we're going to go right to the spot where we announce the winner for this, for this giveaway. I know. And... Um, Drum roll, please. Just imagine the drum roll. It's the giveaway for, to be clear, this is the giveaway for the Justin Soroyce dice tray, the famous Justin Soroyce Sofia Vergara 
Joe, Joe Mag. Magliano approved dice tray. Dice tray. This is this is the this is the VW bug version though, guys. This one's only got four skulls and it has no crenellations. All right, Does, it's it's Good. big enough. You Joe, don't you, you yeah. don't need to show off. You're not Joe, Joe Magliano. Joe, you don't need to show off. That dude's huge. Joe, he needs the big one to fit Joe, in his giant man hand. But we don't we don't need the big one <laughs> for his giant his giant mansion. Yeah, right. His giant he has mansion. a huge yeah. gaming room and he needs crenellations on his dice tray. Yeah. This if it is, was this tray, it would just get lost. This is more of like an OSR one. It's yeah. like it's like it's it doesn't have a bunch of flashy systems that you don't need. Like eight eight skulls, dude. And what I got to tell Come you about on. that tray is is uh the one thing that everybody says about it is the sound. Oh it yeah. It makes the sound that you want a dice tray to make. It does. It's, it does. it's got a nice little ping to it I'm when not, you drop those dice into it. I love it for that. Yeah. It's got the, it's got a really delightful clatter. All right, so we're giving it away, and the winner is none other than, and I'm so happy to give it to this guy, too, because he's so metal. He's Uh, so metal. Matt West, a.k.a. at Matt Waste on Instagram. You win. Congratulations, Matt. Congratulations. Get us that uh, uh, mailing address because it is coming to you free of charge on us Thank Justin Soroyce at Severed Books on Instagram when you have a chance. Thank you for listening to Full Metal RPG. And that having been said, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. Um, what do we got? We got some. We got some places where you can come get at us. If you want to get in on these on these follow contests, son, you're going to have to get over to Instagram. You're going to have to find at Full Metal RPG. And you're going to have to follow the shit out of us. If you don't want to do that, if you're more of a Facebook guy, which okay, fair enough. We have a Facebook group too, Full Metal RPG on, on Facebook. Not the same content. You'll miss out on some of my little micro reviews, but you know, we there's some content on there. Uh, check out our our uh, webpage, Full Metal RPG, where you will be able to find the review of Death Frost Doom. If you disagree with it, you feel we missed the mark, leave us a comment. Let leave us know. Leave a comment or leave us a comment on the Facebook page. Let us know. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it, guys. And I'm happy to say that after I called you guys out for not writing into us, I've got a bunch of people writing in this week. So keep writing, keep hassling us, keep talking to us about your gaming questions, keep letting us know that you're out there because when the second Adam and I start thinking that we're talking to an empty room, it reminds us of being at Arizona Game Fair. And then we start thinking about that time when our medication wore off and we realized we were in a rubber room and it was all a dream. And we don't want to go back to that. It's true. Fuck that shit. Anyway, um, do we have anything else? Is that it? FullMetalRPG.com? Uh, FullMetalRPG.com. Facebook, Insta, FullMetalRPGOfficial at Gmail. Yeah, that's where you can hit us up. Hit us up at any one of those places. Insta's probably the easiest. All right, guys. Like the new format? Let us know. Hate the new format? Let us know. Let us know. Love your girlfriend? Let us know. Hate your boyfriend? Let us know. Yeah. Whatever. We want to hear about it. We want to hear right. about your problems. All right, guys. It's been a real pleasure spending another evening with you. Uh, thanks for listening. And we will see you on the 15th of March for a brand new episode of Full Metal RPG. Good night. Until then, have a good night. <laughs>